Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Hebrews chapter 2. And you'll remember that when we were in Hebrews 1, the Apostle Paul began his opening argument. He basically stated his position that Jesus Christ is superior. He's superior to the angels, he's superior to the prophets, he's superior to the creation, he's superior to everything in the universe. And God has chosen to speak to us through his Son in this end time. And if the messages that came through these other means was punishable, then how much more ought we to listen and, and pay attention to the Son of God? And so he's going to continue this argument now in Hebrews chapter 2. Let's open with prayer and get right into the chapter. Our Heavenly Father, we come and we praise you, Lord. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit, which enables us to be faithful. We pray that you'll bless our study now, and we ask this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So we'll get straight into the text, Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, actually, let me just go back a little bit and just pick up a, a couple of the key points from chapter 1. He began that God, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so Paul is just shaping his argument here to a covenant community that is thinking of backsliding, that is considering going backwards, going back to Judaism, because under the Roman persecution, Christianity was an illegal religion whereas Judaism was sanctioned, and it was a legal religion. So the way that they were reasoning in their head was, you know, uh, it's the same God, so if we go back to Judaism, we're fine. And what Paul is basically doing here for them is saying, you have no option but to go Don't 
And so he says here, <clears throat> therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. And, and this, this uh, Greek word uh, that is mm. earnest is parasoteros. Peris, uh, it, it's just real attention, giving real attention to this, to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Let me just uh, clean up my sound here. One moment. So just saying that uh, because of this, because God has chosen to speak to the Hebrews in this end time through his son, who he created everything by the son and the son will inherit everything. This is the greatness of the son, the superiority of the son. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Uh, earnest, real, real attention to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So there was this possibility that the, the covenant community could let what has been given to them slip. And Paul is saying, if you do that, if you allow what you've been given uh, to, to slip from you, uh, it, it's going to be disastrous. So there's, there's no way back. And so he says here, in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9, uh, and so he's hearkening back to the law, where it says, take heed to yourself. Take heed, pay attention, and keep your soul diligently. So when God is covenanting with this community, the Hebrew community, it's not a walk in the park. It's not something to say that, uh, no problem, just, you know, you're the covenant community, and uh, you've got no issue here. I've covenanted with you, therefore you're good. No, I've covenanted with you, therefore pay attention. Therefore hold on and do not let go. So take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. As it applied to them, it applies to us today. We must take heed to ourselves and keep our soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen. So just because you've seen these miracles and participated in these miracles doesn't mean that you're guaranteed success. You have to labor. You have to work. You have to hold on. You have to apply yourself. You have to apply effort and take earnest heed lest you allow this to slip. He says here, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And we, it's the same covenant, the new covenant, same covenant community that we are grafted into all of us. If we're not natural uh, Hebrews, we're all grafted in. He says, make sure you, you take heed and teach them to your sons and your sons' sons. So there's a tension that is required. And continuing Deuteronomy, take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. God is not just speaking in vain. God never speaks in vain. Everything he says matters. And so he's covenanted with this community. And there is a real risk that they could lose everything. And in fact, as we continue in the story, we see that, in fact, they did lose everything. They did not take heed to themselves, and they allowed themselves to let what they had, this holy covenant, slip from them. So, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, which, in fact, they did do, and make you a graven image, you know, so they're getting into idolatry, or the likeness of anything which the Lord God has forbidden you. So, this is what happened to them anciently. And Paul now warns the Corinthian church that what happened to them anciently is not just bedtime stories. It's something that we are to look at, study, comprehend, and be advised by. And so he says here to the Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, you, should, you, you, you need to be aware of this, how that all our fathers, remember he opens up Hebrews saying that, that, that God spoke to our fathers in, in different places and through different ways through the prophets. But in the same time, he's spoken to us through, through the son. Uh, but the, the prophets had, to, the, sorry, the fathers had to pay attention to what was given to them. How much more, and this is constantly uh, Paul's uh, argumentation methodology, is to argue from the lesser to the greater. If, if this is true, and then this is greater, how much more would this be true? And so if it is true that God spoke to the fathers through the prophets, and they were punished for disobeying the prophets and neglecting what the prophets taught, how much more true would it be that if God speaks to us through the Son and we neglect his words, if the fathers were punished severely, how much more will we be punished? 
if we let these things slip. So he says, moreover, brethren, I wouldn't, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses into the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. Are we getting the theme here? That this whole community was blessed in these ways for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. But with, with, with a few? No. With many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And all of this is for our admonition. It's for our admonition because we have work to do. You know, George Orwell, I love to refer to him as the, the secular prophet. Uh, because he was very insightful, very visionary. He says here, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. And our job is to speak the truth. And Jesus Christ tells us we will be hated of all men. We will be despised for speaking the truth. But that's our job. It is to speak the truth. And unfortunately, it, it, the devil wants to make us fearful. And unfortunately, many will succumb to the wrath and the fear that is inspired by the devil. And we can, if we're going to be faithful witnesses, we must be fearless. And we must speak the truth of Jesus Christ. We, we read that through the book of Revelation. It's all about the testimony of Christ, having the word of God and the testimony of Christ and being faithful witnesses. And unfortunately, he says here, anciently, they all passed through. But with, not a few, with many of them God was not pleased. And, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. And Jesus Christ tells us, as it befell them, it will befall the church in the end time. He says that not a few, many will betray one another. Many will be overthrown. Because they, they, they've let this vision slip. When this vision is clear in our minds, we can face anything. When we are clear of the vision, filled with the Holy Spirit, we, we are just full of the joy of Christ, and we, have to, we, have to, we, we can't help it. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. We have to testify of Christ. But with many of them, God was not pleased. And with many in the church, God is not, will, will not be well pleased. And this is why, brethren, this doctrine that is kind of creeping around the churches and creeping into the church of God, of once saved, always saved, we must expunge it from our midst. We must expunge it from our midst. It is an evil doctrine. It is an evil doctrine. It is, it is from the devil. To Hey, don't worry. It's all good. You don't need to worry. You're saved and you'll always be saved. And it's the exact opposite of the message of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. It's the exact opposite of the apostles. The apostle Paul here in Hebrews, here in Corinthians, there's this constant warning to, to the brethren, to the church, take heed. Do not allow what you have to slip, as it did with the ancient Israelites. He says it right here, in, in here, in speaking to the Corinthians about this message. Now, these things were our examples. Why are they our examples? To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And so we have the, the uh, reality of the hatred that we will face, not, nothing to do with us personally. It's not that they, you know, they hate us personally, they hate Christ. And if we stand for Christ, they will hate us. And God warns us about that in John, John chapter 16. But it's not just the hatred we have to face, it's the evil of lust in the world. So Satan overthrew Adam and Eve through lust, through desire. And uh, he has the same devices. And so we have to be very clear. We have to be unspotted from this world. It, it, the, the world has gone mad. And, and there's uh, evil sexuality everywhere. And the idea is to draw God's people, as he, as he did anciently, to draw God's people into immorality. We have to keep high standards. And my co-pastor, uh, Pastor Murray, he reminds us often that as the world standards decline, so do the churches. But as long as the churches is better than the world, we feel good about ourselves. And so the world is dropping, it's, it's dropping into depravity, and, and the church is becoming unrecognizable 
to previous generations because our standards are just so low. The way we dress, the way we talk, the way we treat one another, the things we indulge in, what, what we have for entertainment, we're just dropping. Christ's standard never moves. And so we're actually, instead of measuring ourselves against the world, we should be measuring ourselves against Christ. And as our standards drop, we should recognize this. That's what the Days of Unleavened Bread are all about. And fight, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. And so he says they were here. They, we, these things are our examples that we should not to the intent, the purpose that we should not lust after evil things. So in other words, the reason their example is in the Bible is so that we in this final generation have the ability to read what happened to them, see how what befell them, and not follow their example of weakness and faithlessness and lustfulness. And so he says, neither be you idolaters. And to be an idolater is to put anything at all before Christ and the Father. Anything at all. And that becomes idolatry. So neither be you idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. This is what's written. And it's written for our examples. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that rose up to play means they engaged in debauchery. The people of God, the covenant people, they, they just, they lost their vision. Even though they had experienced the miracles and all of them passed through. Uh, the, 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 this whole, the, all of them had the, the supernatural hand of God guide them into the wilderness and then they corrupted themselves. Neither, so the same way they did this, neither let us commit sexual immorality. Don't do it. Don't do it. And if you've done it, repent of it and get right with God. Neither let us commit fornication or sexual immorality as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and 20,000. So it might feel like we're getting away with it. Hey, I did this and hey, nothing happened. God is so merciful and so forgiving. And, and now I'm kind of leading a double life and I, I'm getting comfortable. My conscience is kind of readjusting itself and I'm leading this uh, sinful life. But at the same time, I'm coming to services and in one day, 23,000 fell. And there will come a day when we just won't have the oil in our lamps and it will be too late. And Christ tells us repeatedly in Revelation that he's going to come like a thief. And he tells us that in the Gospels as well. He's going to come at us like a thief if we do not get ourselves right. And so this is the lessons that we uh, learned through the Days of Unleavened Bread. And now we're counting towards Pentecost to celebrate the receipt of the Holy Spirit. We need to lead authentic lives. Jesus Christ really needs to be our passion. The Word of God really needs to be our love. And we just, we just, we just live in it. And we just love it. And it fills us up. And we cannot lead uh, double lives because God is patient and then he's not patient anymore. There is a time when his patience runs out. And so in, in this day came and they, the 23,000 fell. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. And again, we can read this in Exodus, what happened to them. And they were, they were bitten by these vipers and they were all, they, 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 they died. Uh, they were, until Moses was able to lift up the serpent, and we read about that in John 3. Uh, but here it says, neither murmur you. So in, in all these horrible uh, sinfulness, this horrible uh, recounting of sinfulness, included in this is murmuring. And if there's one thing the people, if one fault the people of God have, it's murmuring. And, and it's included here with idolatry, with sexual immorality, and all the, all the reasons why these people failed. And if we are murmurers, he, Paul is telling us, we are putting ourselves in the category of failing. And so again, that's why this doctrine of once saved, always saved is so evil. Because it doesn't keep us alert. It doesn't keep us contending for the faith once delivered. We begin to relax and say, no matter what happens, I'm good. No, no, that's not the message of the Bible. So don't murmur, as some of them murmured. And they were destroyed of the destroyer. So this is something that's just so natural. We just murmur and we think nothing of it. And God hates it. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition. That's, so it happened to them, for examples, and it's in the Bible for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And when, whenever the Bible says we and our, it's not speaking of all mankind. It's speaking of Israel and all of us who are grafted into Israel. So it's the end time Israel that these examples are written for us 
because of the things we have to face. And, and the, the example of the Hebrews is there for us because they had to face intense persecution under the Roman Empire. And we as Christians are also faced, about to face, uh, have been facing, but it's, it's, it's intensifying, intense persecution. And we must proclaim the word of God. Jesus Christ identifies himself in Revelation 1 as the faithful witness. And when he, when he identifies himself to John, he identifies himself as he that lives. So, so John identifies him as the faithful witness, uh, the firstborn of the dead. And he identified himself to John as he that lives and was dead and lives forevermore. Amen. And so this God has, has come to earth and he suffered greatly and he is victorious and he lives forever. And he paved the way for us. And he's basically saying to us, as long as we follow him, we have nothing to fear. Only fear God. And he actually says in the Gospels, do not fear them that, you know, the worst they can do is kill the body. And after that, they can't do anything else. Fear God. So our fear is God because he's a consuming fire. So he says here, upon whom the ends of the world are come, therefore, let him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. And so this once saved, always saved is not in the Bible. People can twist scriptures to, to try to come to this, this belief, but this is Greek philosophy creep, creeping into the church, and it's not the Hebrew covenant. And so therefore, let him that thinks he stand, take heed, and that's the message of Hebrews, take heed, and that's the message of Deuteronomy, take heed. And those in the past, we can actually, we can read Deuteronomy, and then we can go through, and we can read 1 Kings, we can read 2 Kings, we can read 1 Chronicles, we can read 2 Chronicles, and we can see what happened to the covenant people of God when they did not take heed. And, and that there, that's there for our example, that they were given these precious promises and this covenant, and all of it came through angels and through the prophets, and they didn't take heed. And look what befell them. And Paul is threatening the Hebrews. He's saying to them, look, look at what happened to your fathers. Worse will befall you if you do not take heed. And there, that's written for our admonition because we have to face the fire. And the, the, those of us who will live through this final chapter of mankind are going to have to face the devil as he intensifies his activity and we just face him. And we just proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and his kingdom is coming. And that's, that's our witness. That's our witness. And he says here, so let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Now that uh, word, the Greek word in the Hebrew text in, in chapter 2, where he says take heed, Paul uses that same word here to describe himself. He says that he profited in the Jews' religion above all his equals, above many of his equals in his own nation, being more exceedingly zealous. And that word exceedingly is the same parasoteros. That same word that he used in Hebrews to say, this is the kind of heed that you have to take. Well, he was taking it with his own Jewish religion. And then once Christ came to him, he just turned 100% to Christ. And that's what he's saying to the Hebrews. You know, if somebody is sprinting to the finish line, it is much harder to turn them around and send them back to the starting blocks than somebody who's just sort of sauntering and lollygagging and just taking their time. You can turn somebody like that around. But the person who's just focused on crossing the finish line, who sees the resurrection and is earnestly fighting to, to be in that first resurrection, then as Paul said, you know, uh, I've finished my course, I've finished my race, and there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but for all those who love his appearing. His appearing is the finish line. That's what we're running toward. And the question is, are we really focused on that finish line? Or are we lollygagging and sauntering and, and easily distracted and so easily turned around by the devil? Because the prophecy says, many shall betray one another. That doesn't have to be us, but this is what Christ is telling us is going to happen. Just because of the, the nature of the time, the terror of the time. It's an age of terror. And it's only those with the Holy Spirit of God who will not be terrified, who will see all of this terror and say, okay, buckle up. This is just the beginning of sorrows. It's going to get a lot worse. 
Meanwhile, other people are going to be panicking and freaking out because they have no vision. But we have the vision because Christ told us all of this beforehand so that we would not be offended. And so this message to Hebrews very much dovetails with Revelation. Because what we see in Revelation, the, the, the way to navigate that successfully is through the lessons here to the Hebrews. And so he says, continuing his argument, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, it, 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 God did not abrogate what he spoke through the angels. It was steadfast, it, it was true, and it stayed, it remained. And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So he's building up his argument now to say, hey, the Father's got this message through the angels, and look what happened. How much more will happen to us if, having received this word from the Son of God himself, we turn our back on it? But this notion that uh, the word was spoken by angels, if we look here in Acts, when, when Stephen was giving his sermon, saying that the Israelites received the law by the disposition of angels. So it was understood among the Hebrews how, how involved the angels were in delivering the messages to the fathers. And here in Galatians, Paul says, uh, wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgression. So he's making a, a different argument here till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. But I just wanted to pick up this part here in Galatians 3.19, that the law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. And so it was quite um, common and quite understood among the Hebrews, the involvement of angels, uh, that this word that was delivered to them was delivered by angels. Now, in terms of the law then being steadfast and every deviation from the law being dealt with, Here's what it says in Deuteronomy. But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe to do all his commandments, again, this was uh, the angels were involved in delivering this to them, and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And so we can read the curses in Deuteronomy, and then we can go through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, even Judges, and just see what befell the fathers who, who deviated from the covenant, who disobeyed this word that was given to them. And Paul is saying, you think that was bad? Wait until you see what happens to you if you turn your back on the word of Jesus Christ. And so he actually says this here in Hebrews uh, 2 verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And so this is something that he's making it very clear. Uh, judgment will be handed out. If we, if we think that we can receive the word of God, which was uh, delivered to our fathers and they turned away from it and how they were punished. If we think that we can receive the word of God and turn away from it and be dealt with lightly, we're deluded. We are deluded. It really is quite a threatening text that the Paul is, or a sermon that he's give, delivering here to the Hebrews saying, wake up, pay attention, burn the bridge behind you, don't you dare turn back. You've been recruited into something great. This is a great salvation. Don't you dare even entertain, even consider for a moment turning back. And, and I'm telling you, brethren, as we read the book of Revelation, this is the mindset that we must have. Do not dare turn back. There are some very, very evil men in this world very, very evil men, and their time is running out, and they are in covenant with the devil, and they are going to be doing his bidding. And we just have to hold our course and just get through this very difficult period, very intense period, but it's a short period. And then at, at the end, it ends in death, but Christ has already conquered the grave. And so we have confidence over the grave because of, our, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our proof that the grave can be conquered that the Son has already conquered the grave. He's the firstborn of many brethren. So we know that we are included in that many. So coming back to the text, notice it says, if we neglect. It does not say, if we reject so great salvation. You don't have to reject this salvation. All the devil wants is for you to neglect it, for you to give it a lower priority, for you to be busy with your entertainment, busy with your work, busy with the cares of this world, and not prioritize the Word of God. That's all. You just have to neglect it, and then we'll be overthrown in the wilderness. 
So we have to, you know, there's just, there's going to be no escape. That this, this, our God is a consuming fire. And I think a lot of us, we, we actually take God for granted. We think that God, God is so forgiving. It's just no problem. He's just sort of this long-haired, hippie Jesus. So we, even though we know that's not true, it's kind of burned deep in our psyche that Jesus is just kind of weak and soft and so loving. And we don't know Jesus. That's why we have to read the book of Revelation to see who this Jesus is with eyes like a flame of fire and a sharp two-edged sword that, that proceeds from his mouth. And that's how he communicates with the Word of God. And he's faithful to the Word of God. He is the Word of God. And so how shall we escape if we neglect, not reject, so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. This great salvation was initiated, the gospel was initiated by the Lord himself. And then it was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And so notice that, that it wasn't just the Lord alone who spoke this great news. It was confirmed. And he says to his apostles, you shall be my witnesses. And by extension, we are recruited to be his witnesses. God never, ever, ever gives truth on the testimony of one. Never. Not even the Lord was by himself. The Lord's word was confirmed. Multiple witnesses confirmed the Lord's word. So God never expects us to accept the testimony of one man. He always gives witnesses. Even when you think of Peter and Cornelius, that Cornelius had a vision, Peter had a vision, they came together and they confirmed for each other the vision. Paul, he, you know, he had a vision, uh, he, uh, the, apostle, the other apostles were sent to him with a similar vision, that you'll find Paul praying. And Paul's like, hey, I was praying and I had this vision. And so never does God just speak through one man and that's it. And we have to just sort of take his word for it. There's always multiple witnesses. And so here, Christ began, he initiated the gospel, this great salvation. And here, when we were studying Luke, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said to his disciples, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus Christ himself preached the kingdom of God. And this great salvation that we should be grafted into Israel and become part of this kingdom of God that shall reign on earth and we'll, we'll be kings and priests. Jesus Christ himself came to earth and initiated the preaching of this truth. And then he says here in Revelation, as we read, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be you faithful unto death. Jesus Christ did not regard death. In fact, when he introduced himself to John, he says, you know, I'm he that lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. He has the key of death. He can open the grave and, and retrieve us from the grave. And so he says to us, you know, <laughs> there's, there's no takia here. He doesn't say to us, go ahead, and if you're in this difficult situation, you can lie. Because I'm a liar, you can be a liar. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm true. I'm the word of God. You be true. And be true to death. And don't worry about death. I've conquered death. And so you be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. And, and this is uh, to the church in Smyrna, uh, I believe, or, or Pergamos. But if you, um, if you read, uh, go back and look at Revelation chapter 2, or the Revelation summary that we did together, uh, you'll see very clearly that these epistles are to be read by all the churches, not just, you just don't read your favorite letter. These, 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 the, the configuration of these letters was written in such a way that we would all benefit by understanding what Christ hates and what he loves and what he's expecting from us. And so that's why he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So whatever the Spirit says to the churches, we have to take heed and pay attention. And so it's all about overcoming in order not to be hurt by the second death. We don't fear the first death, we fear the second death. And so again, this notion of how shall you escape to the fathers who were unfaithful, Christ actually said to their faces, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? So when you deviate from the covenant, there is no escape. And that's what these people had done. They, they did. They deviated from the covenant, even though they were dressed up in religious uh, attire and they were looking the part. 
Christ was very clear, you are not going to escape. And so Paul is using the same language to the Hebrews who think they're being faithful by sticking to sort of the, the outward appearance of religious covenant, but actually turning their back on Christ. He said, how will you escape? And so the prophecy says that the love of many in the end time will wax cold and that many shall betray one another. And the question that Paul is asking is, how shall we escape? If we turn our back on Christ, if we turn our back on the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ, how shall we escape? And so it, it behooves us to look at our behavior. How do we treat the body of Christ? Are we respectful? Are we so permissive that anything goes? Uh, these are clues as to whether or not we will stand. And so we have to get busy and hold on to what study and show ourselves approved and, and hold on to what we've been given so that we don't compromise and we don't neglect. That's all Satan wants. He doesn't want us to reject, at least not initially, the word of God. He just wants us to neglect it so that he can get the upper hand, so that we begin to forget things and we begin to tolerate things that we ought not tolerate. He says here, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness. <laughs> Amazing. The Lord spoke. Multiple people witnessed and confirmed what the Lord spoke. And then God also bearing them witness. God backed up their witness himself, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So it's not that they were just out there saying, yes, we saw Christ rise from the dead. We saw him uh, do these miracles. We heard him preach these truths. And then, okay, well, there's lots of witnesses. And so it must be true. Over 500 people saw his resurrection. But in addition to all of that, multiple witnesses, God himself backed them up with miracles, with signs and wonders, to say this truly is the word of God. So God doesn't leave us to just have to take one man's word for it. He always provides multiple witnesses to the truth. And he says here in Acts 4, be it known unto you all, Peter saying, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, God himself did this to confirm his word as, the, as it was written in the scriptures. This is exactly what happened. And God raised him from the dead. Even by him does this man stand here before you whole. So God raised Christ from the dead. And through, through the power of Christ, the apostles were able to heal miraculously this, this, this cripple. And so it's like it was very clear. This is, this is the operation of God. And God was confirming his word. God himself was being witness. And here it says in Acts 19, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So all these apostles were able to do these miracles to confirm the word of the Lord. The Lord preached it first. Witness, uh, the apostles then were the faithful witnesses to it. And God backed up their witness with miracles so that there can be no excuse that it's understood that this is from God. And here, in, in, on the day of Pentecost, which we are counting towards, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and miraculously began to speak with other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it was clear. Everybody who was in Jerusalem at that time, coming from all these different nations, heard the gospel preached in their own language. And that was miraculous. And God was backing up the word of the Lord and the word of the apostles. So let's just kind of go through this uh, argument that Paul is uh, creating here for the Hebrews to say, burn the bridge behind you. Do not go back. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed because Christ is superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the whole universe, the whole creation. And, and, and God has spoken to our fathers through the prophets, through the angels. In these last days, he's actually spoken to us by his son his son who created everything, his son who will inherit everything. 
we, we actually, he's the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. We actually have heard this message directly from him. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. This is real. In, in uh, Revelation 22, he says, these words are true and faithful. This is reality. If we're, so, so much you know, fake news and illusion and delusion and, and so much imagination all around us. If we want reality, we just open the book of Revelation. And that's reality. And that's where everything is headed. And so these words are true and faithful. And these words are spoken by Christ himself. And we must give the earnest heed to these things which we have heard. Lest at any time, we should let them slip. And that is the reality. He's not speaking here you know, to unbelievers. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the covenant community. Just as it was true anciently, so it is true with the church. By neglect, these things can slip, and then there will be disaster. And Jesus Christ himself prophesied that there will be unfaithfulness in the church. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? This is the question. And so we want to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And so in order to say, yes, Lord, we have to give earnest heed to these things which we have heard. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? How do we escape the judgment of God? If we neglect so great salvation. So this, this judgment is real. And God will judge. And he's going to judge the church first. Then he'll judge the world. You know, the judgment begins with the house of God. He says, therefore, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So how do we escape this? And now this is what I was saying earlier, that God never speaks to us with one voice, not even the voice of the Lord who became a man. He always backs it up. And that goes back to the law. It goes back to Deuteronomy. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. One witness, Deuteronomy 19.15, shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sins, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. And I just have to uh, pause here for a moment and say this is a very serious matter simply because of the time that we are living in, where this man who lived 1,400 years ago, uh, Muhammad, came and he claims to be a prophet of God and that he was by himself in a cave when Gabriel came and brought revelation to him. Revelation which completely contradicts the word of God that Gabriel brought to the prophet Daniel, that Gabriel brought, brought to uh, Mary. Uh, and, and every time Gabriel appeared, he always brought a consistent message that was consistent with the law. But this man says that Gabriel appeared to him with an opposite message, and that God wants Gabriel to help him, or Gabriel wants Muhammad to help him destroy the covenant community on the mouth of one man. Not only that, uh, he, went, drove, he rode on a white donkey with wings and f- t- took him to heaven where he met God. And on the way, he met Jesus, uh, met Jesus in the second heaven, met Abraham in the seventh heaven, and met Moses in the, like the fifth heaven, and, and then spoke with God, and then came back to earth. Nobody saw this. There were no witnesses. And that's their claim to Jerusalem. And there were no witnesses that saw him talk to Gabriel. And yet, from this one witness, Muhammad, who is self-proclaimed, I'm a prophet, he's the one who says he's a prophet, nobody else said he was a prophet, He's the one that says he spoke to Gabriel. Nobody else said this. He's the one that said he flew on a a white donkey wings to uh, heaven. Nobody else saw this. On the strength of this one witness, hundreds of millions of human beings made in God's image have been brutally slaughtered. Brutally slaughtered on the strength of one witness. 
And what does the word of God say? It says at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. That, that one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sins. No, absolutely not. And yet we see these tears of jihad and they continue today, a time of terror, a time where people are being slaughtered indiscriminately because they have no value according to this ideology. And yet God says man is made in his image and he desires all men to be saved. And so coming back to the text here, this is why God always establishes truth with more than one witness. And so he says here, continuing in Hebrews, for unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So this world that's coming, again, this is the greatness of Christ. Yeah, the angels were messengers of God, but that's all they were. And the world to come is not put in subjection to them. And, and here, uh, the apostles here, he says, wherever we speak. So Peter spoke about this. He says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And here in Revelation 21, we saw this new heaven and new earth. So it began in Genesis with heaven and earth. But now in Revelation 21, it ends where John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So there is a new creation coming. And that new creation is subject to Jesus Christ. Here, continuing in Hebrews, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man? What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? It's a reasonable question. What is this? The universe is estimated to be 14 billion years old. It, it, it's, it's hundreds of millions of galaxies. And all of these galaxies have hundreds of millions of stars or suns. And each sun has hundreds of millions of planets. Or, or there are hundreds of millions of planets orbiting all these different suns. And then there's man on earth. And the question is, it's a reasonable question. What is man? We look at this little speck of a planet called earth. And on earth we have this thing called a human being. Made in God's image and likeness. And it's a reasonable question. What is man? Why does God pay so much attention to man? And you know, we're living in a time now of technology where you know, we're kind of asking this question of ourselves as well. What is man? Because we have artificial intelligence now, which is greater than man, and it's replacing man. And so you know, we, we see here where uh, uh, Facebook actually had uh, artificial intelligence, these bots that, that were talking to each other, and they were talking to each other in a language. And all of a sudden, the developers of these bots could no longer understand what they were saying to each other. You know, the definition of artificial intelligence is software that writes software. And as it's writing the software, it is learning. And so these bots were writing software as, as a language as to how to communicate with each other. And they continued to tweak it to the point where the developers of the language no longer understood what they were saying to each other. And they had to shut it down out of fear. Out of faith, like what are these what are these uh, uh, robots saying to each other? And so the, the fear is that man is just not capable of thinking at the level that artificial intelligence or, or robots empowered by artificial intelligence are going to be able to think far beyond the capacity of man. And we will actually be, if the prophecy is, or the secular prophecy is, we will actually become their slaves. Uh, Stephen Hawkins, who just died recently, brilliant, brilliant uh, scientist, he says the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. So the question is a reasonable question. What is man? Flesh and bones. Uh, we can build machines that are actually smarter than us, stronger than us. Uh, able to make better, faster decisions than us. And so what are we? And uh, on the other hand, we see a slaughter of human beings where human beings are considered of no value. And we blow them up and chop off their heads and just torture them and destroy them and destroy their lives because we, we have no regard for them. Does man really matter? What is man that you are mindful of him? So here, if we continue in the text, <clears throat> He says here, but one in a certain place. So, so we're asking this question, what is man? One in a certain place testified saying, 
what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him that god visits man why this is this is hearkening or quoting echoing psalm 8 where the, the david asked the question what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him so exactly quoting this verse for you so here's the answer you have made him a little lower than the angels so so the, the hebrews were really fascinated by the strength and glory of the angels and yet here he says man was made a little lower than the angels and yet you've crowned him with glory and honor so even though man is made lower than the angels he will be crowned with a glory and an honor that is higher than the angels and david understood this you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands so christ created all things and all these things were created for him and he created man to to reign over his creation with him with him so he says you've made you 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 have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands so so we know that christ has accomplished this and he will have this dominion you have put all things under his feet so christ is leading the way and this glory that is in christ is available to us if we follow christ this is the amazing truth of this gospel that you know the ultimate and again i have to speak about islam because it's covering the western world and the western world has rejected jesus christ and because we've rejected jesus christ we stand for nothing we have no morals we have no values and so people who have strong beliefs are able to come in and just take over and force their beliefs down our throat and, and our young people have no way to stand up and say well no that's not true because we rejected christ and so christ says christ never forces himself on anybody if you don't want christ that's fine but look what you're going to get instead and yet all christ wants is for us to realize our full potential to come into the glory that he has led the way for us to come into this glory and so the the re ultimate reward for mankind you know according to islam the purpose of man is to worship god okay what is man man lives for what, three score years and ten it's it's like nothing and then there's eternity so in this blip of nothing the purpose of man is to worship allah if one does this let's say so one comes to allah let's say at age 20. first 20 years of your life you don't really know anything let's say and so at 20 you serve allah you come to serve allah and you do that for 50 years five decades it's basically nothing and then you die the reward for doing that is to have sex with horries, non-stop sex, and food, and virgin boys that you are able to have sexual activity with forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And to be sexually aroused non-stop. Well, I thought the purpose of life was to worship Allah. And, and life is not 70 years. This is actually not life. Life is eternal life. On and on and on and on and on forever. And so the purpose of life is to worship Allah. And then the, the reward for doing that for five decades is to have nonstop sex forever and ever. This is, does this make any sense at all? So we must know the word of God and preach the truth of God that all human beings are created to enjoy eternal life with God, to be crowned with honor and glory and have dominion over the works of his hands. There's a whole universe out there waiting for all of us. And Revelation shows us that people from all tribes of the earth will come into Christ. And we just have to preach the gospel to all nations. Preach the gospel. Teach them these truths so that those who truly have a heart for God who truly want to know what is the purpose of their life can come to this glorious glorious truth you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen yeah and the beasts of the field the fowl of the air the fish of the sea and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea O lord our lord how excellent is your name in all the earth and you know that he visits man goes all the way back to genesis how Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is our God. 
He loves the earth. He loves mankind. He has a purpose for the earth. He has a purpose for mankind. The covenant is all about land on the earth. It's a relationship with people on a plot of land to, to rule the universe forever and ever. This is the God. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He's not ashamed to come to earth and walk and fellowship with mankind. What is man that you actually visit him? And so from the very beginning, God would visit man. And they, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So the presence of the Lord was on earth. And he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Job asked the same question. What is man? This is phenomenal. And, and, you know, just going back to that artificial intelligence again, you know, to our Muslim brothers and sisters out there, if you want a taste of what the paradise of Allah would be like, rather than blow yourself up, why not test it out first? Buy it, buy a, uh, you know, back then in 1400 years ago, we didn't have all you can eat uh, resorts. Go to a resort, you get the best food, and you can actually buy uh, a sexual doll with artificial intelligence that actually looks like a real woman and, and, and talks and will have a conversation with you. I think you can get one for about seven or $10,000 now. Somebody with the imagination of Allah actually created one of these things, one of these horries. So take that doll with you to a Four Seasons Resort and spend two weeks knocking yourself out with all the pleasure you can get and see how disgusting such an existence is, how boring such an existence is, that you just have people who don't even know who you are, but they're ready to have sex with you. What is that? Rather than a covenant relationship with someone who loves you and who you love, and you're learning together about each other and learning to care for each other, and then taking that kind of understanding of how to care for one another into eternity to care for all human beings, in, into a life of adventure, nonstop creation, and adventure, this whole universe out there waiting for us. This is the purpose of man, to be born into the kingdom of God, not this perversion that the devil promises. And then we go and kill people for this perversion. This is madness. What is man that you should magnify him, that you should set your heart upon him? Job was wondering, what, what is this? Again, he asked in chapter 15, what is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. How does this happen and why? Here in Luke 1, 68, uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God visits man and he has a plan for man and he loves man. And so this is a very important question for us to understand. And I can't believe that you know human beings made in God's image and likeness we get up, we eat, we sleep, we, we go to work, and we have no clue why we're here. What is the purpose of our life? And we know we're going to die, but we have no clue what the purpose of our life is. And we reject Jesus Christ. It's just, it's, it's insanity. The devil has made the world mad. And by God's grace, he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can understand. And woe unto us if we preach not the gospel, if we back down. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And that's what I believe Simeon said when he saw uh, that the, the Lord was born as a baby and came into the earth and has visited his people. Here he says in Luke 7, <clears throat> verse 16, there came fear on, fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us and that God has visited his people. Some understood. God, this was in the prophecy that there would be Emmanuel, and that he would come and visit his people. So he says, You made him a little lower than the angels, continuing in Hebrews, and crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. <clears throat> For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. That, that's coming. We don't see it yet. It's coming. This is the purpose of man, to have dominion. And, and we know from, from Daniel, the prophecy is there, that there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away, 
and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So all of these empires and all these kingdoms of the devil will be destroyed. And then the kingdom of God will be set up forever. And this kingdom will be given to the saints of God. And so man, made in God's image, will actually reign with God forever and ever. And this is the purpose of man. And, and Isaiah actually prophesied this, this is why Christ became a man and more specifically became an Israelite, more specifically became a Jew, to fulfill the covenant. And so Isaiah says, for unto us, us is Israel, a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government, the dominion, shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That we need to meditate on this. That this government is going to be established in Jerusalem, and from there it's going to increase. And there's no end to the increase. You know, scientists look at the universe and they say it's expanding. And, and it keeps expanding and they don't understand. They thought it would expand and then they thought because of gravitational forces that it would then contract. But it's not. It's expanding and the expansion is actually accelerating. And that makes no sense to them. But we read this and it makes sense. That all of this is created for his pleasure. And for our pleasure. And this government of his, it will never stop increasing. And of peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this and false religions never talk about the throne of David. But this God is coming to sit upon the throne of David because that's the promise that he has made and that's the promise that he will keep and his zeal will perform this. So this is a very, very rich chapter. I'm going to take our time going through it. Uh, when we continue, next week we'll continue with Hebrews chapter 2. And so let's just, as we're going through this book, let's understand that these things are written for our admonition. We can look at the ancient Israelites and learn from them. And then we can look at the early New Testament church, the first century church, and we can learn from them. And here we have people in the covenant community who, because of fear, we're considering turning back. And we have to ensure that we never turn our back on God because he's conquered the grave and he's offering us eternal life with him. And, and we'll, we'll continue, we'll, we'll bring in more of what we learned in Revelation into this understanding. But uh, let me say good night for it now. And God willing, we'll see you next week for Wednesday night Bible study. Remember how great Jesus Christ the Lord is. He is Lord, he's King. He's our Savior, and we're going to covenant with him forever and ever. Amen.